Coming up in today's unforgettable episode of An Older Gay Guy Show, one of my personal favorites. That night, <laughs> in the bright moon, <laughs> on a bright moonlit night, I go to this grave with my handy-dandy little shovel. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining me this very fine day. Now, just the other day, I released a temporary episode that was the beginning of a recording of part two of I See Dead People. But due to some tongue surgery that I had two days ago, I wasn't able to finish that episode. So I published what I had been able to do, and I just kind of used that as a placeholder until I was able to go back and finish recording. Well, now it's Friday, two days later, and I am able to speak better, but I didn't think I'd be able to record that episode in full due to some continued swelling and pain in my tongue. And as it would be a long episode, this one's going to be over an hour when I finish it. I decided it best to put it off for now so that I can do justice to that material. But... In keeping with the overall subject of funerals, I decided that I would reissue one of my all-time favorite episodes of this show. About two and a half years ago, I did a sweet episode that was extremely close to my heart. I think in future generations, if I'm to be remembered for this little show that I do here— this is one of my best. So whether you've heard it before, or if this is a first listen, I hope you enjoy this tribute to my funeral director days. So here now, my friends, for your enjoyment. My name is Joey Hernandez, and this is the personification of Chin Chin. I love this story. Season 4. Episode 21 of An Older Gay Guy Show. This episode of An Older Gay Guy Show is brought to you by AdamMail.com, my new one-stop shopping for all things sexual. AdamMail.com has amazing sexual gear that will fit everyone's tastes. From sex toys to undergear, AdamMail.com has something for everyone. And I have the pleasure, the sexual pleasure, to offer you 50% off almost any one item, and that will also include free shipping. This awesome deal can be yours at adammail.com, that's A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E, all one word, dot com, and enter the code A-O-G-G-S, standing for an older gay guy show, A-O-G-G-S at checkout, and get your sex started today. 
Back when I recorded this episode, The Personification of Chin Chin, I was just sitting back and just closing my eyes and letting my mind just go back and relive what happened moment by moment. So it is completely off the cuff. I didn't really use any notes for it. I just let myself remember this wonderful, wonderful experience. And as you may know, because I've mentioned it before, I left the funeral industry so glad that I did not have to stay in it or ever go back to it. But I have to tell you, if I have one fond memory of my days as a funeral director and embalmer, it is this particular experience that I am extremely proud of. So here now is the personification of Chin Chin. Today, in this episode, I'm going to tell you what I think you're going to find to be a funny yet heartwarming story from my funeral director days. And hey, when is not a funeral director story fun and exciting? (laughs) This is going to be one I think that you are not going to soon forget. This happened in the early 1980s down on Cape Cod. And if you're not familiar, if you are living somewhere around the world, you've never heard of Cape Cod. Here in Massachusetts, Cape Cod is our famous peninsula that sticks out. And it was a peninsula for millions of years, I'm sure, but they actually cut a canal through the beginning of it. So you have to go over one of two bridges in order to get on Cape Cod. So technically, Cape Cod is an island. And you may be familiar with Cape Cod because at the very tip of it is one of the busiest and most well-known gay resort towns called Provincetown, or P-Town as we locals call it. If you've never been there, I strongly suggest you try P-Town. It's quite something in the summer. Now, amongst all my many, many funeral director and embalmer stories I tell and I'm sure over the years, as this podcast progresses, you, my friends, are going to have the benefit of hearing probably every single one of them at some point. But this tale is the most unusual, and it touched my heart, and it gave me endless hope for the kindness in people. And I hope you enjoy it. Now, as this story starts out, I had been a funeral director and embalmer for about four years when this particular event happened. And it was quite an event for me. The owner of the funeral home that I was working at was away for like a month, maybe a little bit more than a month. And he, for the first time, had left the funeral home completely in my care. So I was the funeral director and embalmer. I was in charge of the entire thing. He'd check in every few days kind of call me from on the road because, of course, there were no cell phones. So we'd call from pay phones and uh, I'd accept the charges. He'd reverse them. And he was traveling all over the eastern part of the United States. I know he went to Chicago and Florida and Texas and just all over with his family jammed into this motorhome. And (laughs) he um, he had kind of built this motorhome by himself. And so it kind of looked like it was like a renovated Partridge family bus or something, but (laughs) he loaded his young kids and his wife and he took off and he was driving around. 
So he left me and I was responsible from everything from the moment that we got the first phone call from a family at the funeral home that somebody had died. And I had to take care of everything up until the point when the deceased was buried. So that included what was called the removal of the body, which means we either went to someone's home where someone had died, or we went to a hospital if someone had died in a hospital, or they, if they had an autopsy. And uh, I'd also have to do the embalming. If there was a public viewing of the body, I'd have to dress the body and do hair and do makeup and meet with the family and arrange all the various newspaper info, like the obituary and the news notice about it. I had to schedule the wake and the service and the church and the minister, and I had to arrange for the grave to be dug. Everything. This was a small town, little funeral home. And it was generally just myself and the owner that worked the funerals. We'd call in some guys once in a while to help us out if we needed some help, uh, if it was a bigger service. But generally, it was just him and I. So with him away, it was me. And I still had those workers I could call, but ultimately, it was like the buck stops here. That was me. I was fully responsible. And so he'd call every few days and I'd update him on any services that we might have had because somebody died and uh, just basically tell him of any problems I had. And uh, he, he was pretty trusting. And I have to say, I think I did a decent job for that time running the whole shebang. I think in the entire time he was gone, I did about 15 funerals, which for a small town funeral home was really quite, quite a bit. So about two weeks into when he had gone away and I was in charge, a morning I received a phone call from this lovely lady who was very elderly and she was known in town and everybody loved her. Everybody always said hello to her and visited her and would ask if she needed anything. There were some people that would buy groceries and bring them to her house because she lived alone and everybody kind of pitched in and took care of her, which was, which was really nice. That's kind of like a small town thing that was going on back in the eighties, probably in today's world, in today's frightful world of all this bad stuff going on. Um, it's probably not the same, but if, for those of you that might look out for elderly neighbors around you, I have to commend you because it's it's a wonderful thing for them to know that somebody cares, that somebody's going to stop in and visit, even if it's just for a short time. So as far as I knew, she didn't have any living relatives at all. So I was looking forward to having her come in, but of course I was sorry that somebody in her family died. I don't know. So I had arranged for her to come in that afternoon. And we would sit down and we would uh, go over the stuff for the funeral, you know, whether or not there was a church service or if the service was going to be in the funeral home, um, whether or not there was going to be a wake, which is a public viewing of the body, which requires embalming. And so when I had her come in, I asked her where I should go and pick up the body. You know, is it at a certain hospital? Is it at a nursing home? God forbid, is it someone that died in your home? And her response was that she's going to bring the body in with her. 
And I was like silently like horrified on the phone. Like, what? <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but like, what? Because nobody, you, you don't throw a body in your car and bring it to the funeral home, you know? We go and get the body. That's the way it works. So I knew that she was like a bit along in her mind. You know, she was really elderly. She was at least in her probably late 80s, early 90s. So what I had figured she meant was that she was going to bring the clothes with her because that's what a lot of people will do. They'll bring the outfit that they want the person buried in. That's very common. So I kind of figured that's what was going on here. So she arrived. I greeted her at the funeral home and she had driven, right? And she stated to me that the body was in the car. And again, I was like, what? Ah, uh, what? So I, I was like apprehensive. Like the first thing that runs through my mind is, oh my God, the owner of the funeral home is away. And like, I'm, I have to deal with this really bizarre situation. So I walked out to her car with her and she stated that the body was in the trunk. <laughs> so at that point, I kind of started to sweat just a little bit, right? So she gave me the keys and I went and I put him in the lock and I opened the trunk hesitantly. And I was so wishing my boss was there handling this and not me. And in the trunk, I saw this large suitcase. And the first thing that crosses my mind is, oh my God, she chopped somebody up. <laughs> and again, I thought, well, it's a suitcase. Maybe there's just clothes in the suitcase. So I lifted it up and it was quite heavy, like heavier than clothes would be, even with shoes in it. Heavy, heavy for just clothes. So I lifted it out and I put it down on the ground and I looked back in the trunk before I closed it down and I kind of, it sounds stupid, but I kind of looked for like any signs of foul play or something. You know, there were, fortunately for me, there were no axes or no hammers in there. But there was this tire iron sitting <laughs> very clearly in this trunk, right? Glistening in the sun, right? And I'm thinking, holy crap, she did it with the tire iron. Oh my God, right? <laughs> so the first thing that, you know, comes to my mind with the tire iron is like I thought of the game Clue. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever played the game Clue, but you're supposed to guess who did what and with what weapon. So it was kind of like, okay, like maybe the butler did it in the garage with a tire iron or something. Like, ah, <laughs> oh my God. But there was no blood. So I figured, well, that's always a good sign. You know, I, I, I watch these murder shows and police shows and there's always blood, right? That kind of makes sense. The only time I think there's not blood might be like if you're watching a vampire movie or something, and I don't think she's a vampire because this is the middle of the afternoon and there's bright sun shining. So it was really weird. So I walked her and her suitcase back into the funeral home. So we got inside and I put the suitcase 
down on the floor very gently and we sat down. She sat at the desk and, and started to talk to me and she said, wouldn't I like to see her? 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 Oh my God. It's her daughter. No, no, no. She's too old. It's her granddaughter. Oh my God. Like I was almost panicking at that point. Right. So, so we put the suitcase on the table and I unlatched it and I slowly opened it. And within the suitcase was this cloth bag. And I took that out carefully and I could feel something for sure. And I untied it and then like almost closing my eyes, I just kind of reached in and pulled the bag down enough that I could see in the bag. And she said, this is my beautiful chin chin. And I, I thought she has an Asian granddaughter. What? No, wait, what? <laughs> it's a Siamese cat, chin chin. So I had no idea what was going on. So I said to her, oh, would you like me to bury Chin Chin for you? And she said, no, actually, um, Chin Chin was my family. Chin Chin was the child that I never had. Chin Chin was always there when everyone else wasn't. After people would leave and when I was lonely, my Chin Chin was there with me. And I would like a full entire funeral for her, which I thought was very odd, but nice. You know, I mean, what, what a nice thing to do, but I had no idea how I would go about doing an entire funeral for a Siamese cat, but she was so sweet and I, I had known her and she was a little teary-eyed when she was explaining this. So I, I just figured, you know, I'm going to find some way that I can do a funeral for it, even if it's going to be a small thing. So I said, okay, I could maybe say some words. Uh, you know, we can, we can put Chin Chin in a box in the viewing parlor and I could say a few words and then we could go and bury Chin Chin. And she's like, no, 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 no. I, I want everything. I want it to be just like it's a person. I want there to be a casket. I want there to be a, a two-night wake where people can come and view her. I want a full service. I want a minister to come and say it. And then I want to go and bury Chin Chin in a plot that I have in a cemetery. There was a cemetery, you kind of had to go through woods a little bit, but there was a cemetery behind the funeral home. So, she said that she wanted to bury Chin Chin in her grave. So back at that time, I'm not sure it's still the same, but back then you were not allowed to bury animals in a human cemetery. So I kind of explained that to her and she was started to get upset. So I, I, again, I just calmed her down and I said, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to, we're going to figure out something. So I took her down into the casket room and kind of thinking, you know, this woman is going to buy this big, humongous casket and it's going to be thousands of dollars because that's how much they cost. Um, and I have no idea, like, how she's going to afford that. And then it, it, it dawned on me that in storage, we had just one single small casket that 
most funeral homes will keep in the extreme event and fortunately i never had to deal with this but in the event that a baby dies this casket could be used so i decided that this is what we had to do now the small casket was $300 but she was alone in the world she really didn't have any money and i knew the owner of the funeral home certainly wouldn't allow me to use it but Again, I said, I'm going to figure out something. You know, and I took her hand and I said, together, we're going to do this. <laughs> so that night, um, the owner called and he was actually in this, again, was early 80s, probably 81, I'd say. And he called from a Michael Jackson concert. He had just arrived wherever Michael Jackson was playing and the owner of the funeral home had tons of money and he just somehow bought tickets for them all to go to this Michael Jackson concert. And Michael Jackson, of course, at this time in the 80s was huge. I mean, it was just huge. So he was calling me from a payphone, and I could actually hear Michael Jackson singing in the background. So with the noise that he was listening to, right, he heard all this noise loud. He couldn't really hear me when I was explaining what was going on. So I said, okay, what you got to do is you got to call me back tonight. And he said, okay. So he called me later that night and I explained everything to him about what I wanted to do. And he laughed and he said, oh, you know what? Well, you better not harm a single hair on its chinny chin chin. And I, I just fell silent for a moment. And I, like, I was angry at this guy for, for making this joke and, you know, laughing so much about it. And, uh, well, he knew the elderly woman and he knew that she was going to be all alone in the world. And I explained to him, you know what, y you may think this is funny, but you didn't have a woman crying in your arms like I had when she was arranging all of this. And he said, you know, if she couldn't afford the baby casket, I couldn't use it. Actually, he thought the entire idea of the funeral was really stupid and that I should just tell her, we can bury the cat for you, but we can't do anything else. We can't do a funeral for a cat. That would be ridiculous. So I said, you know what? I want to use that casket. And he said, no, you can't, you know, it costs money. Does she have the $300 for the casket? And I said, no, actually, I think she doesn't have any money for this at all. And he said, well, you can't do any of it then, you know, take the cat, put it in a cardboard box and bury it for her. And she can be there and you can say a few words. And I'm like, no, you know what? I, no, I am in charge of this funeral home right now. You've put me in charge of this funeral home right now. And I will buy that damn casket myself if I have to. And he said, okay, fine. You can buy the casket. If you want to be stupid enough, you can buy the casket. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I said, oh, you know what? By the way, as you know, I'm a certified funeral director and I'll be buying it from you. So of course, as a professional courtesy, 
you're going to allow me to buy it at cost, at what you paid for it. And that's the way you do it with any other funeral director. You've done these kinds of things before with the big caskets. You're doing it now with this baby one. And he reluctantly agreed. But I told him, you know, we'd put Chin Chin into the casket and we'd bury her. And that's how I left it. But I knew that was not what was going to happen. So I went about arranging an entire funeral for Chin Chin. The woman had her own plot in this cemetery. And, you know, as I said, you have to go through the woods a little bit and it's there. And although it was against the law, it's a small town we were in. It was surrounded by woods. And I told her, I will go out and I will dig the grave for myself. Knowing, <laughs> knowing that I was going to have to go out and dig this grave at night. And God help me if somebody comes up while I'm shoveling and digging a grave in the cemetery, or potentially they will think I'm digging up a body or something. So, but I said, you know what? We are going to do this. It's going to work out. So she wanted a two night wake. And normally, of course, we have a charge at the funeral home for that. But the owner was away and there was nothing else going on at the funeral home. And I just kind of figured, you know what, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. You know, I'm buying the casket. I'm going to bury the the casket myself. So he's not going to know if we have a wake, right? So I just figured, you know, her friends are going to come and pay respects to the cat. But the fact that the cat was going to be viewed by the public, I assumed that there would be the same kind of uh, laws that for the public health, for the protection of public health, if a body's being viewed by the public and especially over a two day period, the body has to be embalmed. So I said, okay, I'll embalm Chin Chin. So I had no, no, no idea what I was doing. I, I just figured, well, you know what? A cat has all the same organs and has a venous system and arteries and we can do this somehow. So sure enough, I started embalming Chin Chin. And then if you've ever been to a wake, you might know that in the viewing, the casket is open and the body's laying there on their back, of course, with the hands usually folded across the stomach And then the lower half of the casket, because it's a big casket, the lower half is closed. You just see the upper half. So this was a small casket, but I started thinking, well, how am I going to position Chin Chin? I mean, (laughs) I can't put the cat on her back and then fold the paws over. That would look like stupid. So I decided what I would do is I would have Chin Chin curled up like she was sleeping. So that's the way I embalmed the body so that Chin Chin was curved in and looked peaceful and like she was sleeping. So after the embalming, I put Chin Chin into the casket and she had brought all of Chin Chin's favorite toys with her. And she also brought some food, which 
was really strange, but her theory was kind of like what uh, Egyptians used to think when they would bury bodies, you know, that when Chin Chin needed food, the food would be there. But I figured, you know what, if I bury this casket in the ground and there's food in there, animals are going to dig it up. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the last thing I want to happen. So I put Chin Chin's favorite toys, I put them all around Chin Chin curled up. And that was why the suitcase was as heavy as it was. Not only with Chin Chin's body, but below that cloth bag, there were a bunch of toys and there was food. So that was what was weighing down this suitcase. So I thought, you know, this is working. This is working. So I, I went in and I set the casket up in the parlor and I opened the lid and Chin Chin was curled there. And that afternoon, now this is the next day after the woman had met with me. This is the next day. And this bouquet of flowers arrived from the woman. And so I set up the flowers by the head of the casket, like we would normally do. When every family gives flowers, you try to make the family flowers as close to the, to the casket as possible. And then friends and you know, uh, co-workers or whatever, those flowers are further away. You always put the, the family's flowers closest to the casket. You know, in, in hindsight, as I think about this, this was before I had any cats myself or dogs for that matter. And so I really didn't understand the attachment that she had to the cat other than the fact that the cat was the, 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 person, if you will, the company of the woman in her home. And so I knew the woman and I knew how her heart was breaking. So that's why I wanted to do it. You know, I didn't, I unfortunately back then didn't value animals as much as I do now when I have my, my beautiful two cats, but I was very respectful with Chin Chin and I knew that she loved Chin Chin more than anything in the world. So when this one bouquet came and I set it up by the casket, our parlor to view the body and have wakes is, is quite large. I can hold probably 75 or 100 people. So this small casket and that one bouquet, it just looked really sparse. You know, I, I, I wasn't happy with it. So what I figured was, we work with a lot of florists around that area of Cape Cod because when somebody dies, if somebody wants to send flowers, if it's a, again, a coworker or a friend, you call different florists and the florist will come and deliver the flowers to the funeral home. So I knew a lot of the florists and not, not strangely, I knew a lot of gay people that worked for these florists, or there was one that actually was owned by a gay couple. So I decided, hmm, I think I'm going to call in some favors. So I called six of them. I ended up calling six. And I said, you all have flowers that at the end of the day, or the next day, are too wilted to use in arrangements. 
what do you do with your flowers? And most florists say, oh, we just throw them out. They go into the trash, unfortunately. So I said, can you give me any flowers that are not used at the end of the, of the day? You know, this particular day, you know, tonight, can, is there any chance that you could bring those flowers to me? So every one of them, every one of them said, sure. And I, I didn't explain what it was for because I just kind of figured if I say <laughs> that, <laughs> if I say that I'm doing a funeral for a cat, um, they would probably think it was a joke. They wouldn't take it very seriously and I may not get the flowers. So I just said, you know, do me this favor and I will explain later to all these gay people. Every, every person I talked to was a gay guy. So sure enough, that night, all these flowers were delivered. And again, because this was a small town and it was, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, um, things were a lot more um, simpler and things were kinder, I think. And one of the things that we would do is we would go into the various cemeteries after we had buried people and when the arrangements would die, we would clear that off of the grave for the people so that anything that was there was fresh flowers. And the family would often go and put more flowers on the grave, of course, at different times during the year. So I didn't want them to, to find all these dead flowers. So the owner and I would often go and we'd just clear out all these dead flowers. But we had baskets left over because of that because most arrangements come in some sort of basket. So that night, <laughs> me and my handy-dandy bottle of vodka, might as well embalm myself while I'm doing this, I sat in the funeral home playing music really loudly, because I was the only one there, and we were kind of far from any neighbors. And I sat there, and I figured out how to make arrangements of flowers <laughs> right? Putting all these flowers, you know, they were a little wilted, but they weren't dead by any means. So I got all these things done and I put them all around the casket, right? And of course I didn't put any cards on them, but this woman was so old that she couldn't really read anything. So, um, I wasn't worried about that. So as is the case, I had her come in an hour before the first wake started that night. Wakes are usually uh, two to four and seven to nine happens to be the times, at least when I was working, that we would do uh, wakes. The first one is always an evening one. And I had arranged with her to do two evening ones because I figured if something happened during the day that was going to tie me up with actual humans, that I wanted to be able to do the job for her. So I had arranged for her to come in and do the viewing of the body just like you would with a human. And she came in and she just loved it. And as she looked around and she saw all those baskets of flowers, she, she started to cry and she hugged me and said, she can't believe how many friends, sorry, <laughs> it was a, a little weird, um, how many friends that she has in the world that they sent these flowers. And I said, you know, yeah, it, that's awesome. You know, ev everybody loved you and everybody loved Chin Chin. And I, I think it's a beautiful arrangement. And I think, you know, it's going to be wonderful. So 
then the wake came, seven to nine, and no one came. I, of course, didn't put a notice in the newspaper. How, you know, how would I, how, how would I do that? So I figured she would call people that she knew and invite them to the wake, but no one came. And she sat there and she sat near the casket and we have this recorded funeral music that plays, you know, hymns and, and stuff. So I sat with her and, uh, we waited and waited and waited and no one came. So I said to her, well, you know what? A lot of times when you have two nights like this, most people come the second night because that's the closest to the funeral. So that's when they come. So she, she, that, that made her feel a little bit better. So I figured at this point, you know, screw my boss. I don't care. This lady really needs to be able to let go of the only family that she ever had. And I was damn sure that I was going to make this the biggest event that I possibly could. So I called all my friends down there. And these were people I would know from gay bars that we'd hang out and we'd have parties and, you know, get stoned and do all that happy stuff that I did back then. And I always had this habit of when I went to parties or when I was in bars, I would buy people drinks all the time. I would buy rounds for all my friends. It's just something that everybody did. So my cheap friends that never bought rounds back for me, I said, okay, I'm calling in this favor. This is in response to all those drinks I bought for you. You are going to come. <laughs> this is now the next day. You are going to come tonight and you're going to bring any friends you've got and you're going to bring any family you have. And I'll tell you right now, because the owner doesn't have any idea that I'm even doing this, there'll be alcohol in the office. <laughs> so bring your friends. And I explained basically what was going on. And that night she came and she sat by that casket and as near as I can tell, like a hundred people came dressed, of course, in suits and nice dresses. And they would visit with her and they'd sit with her. And then they'd come in the office and we'd do shots, right? <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to get people to do what you want them to, to do, right? So, yeah. And some of my friends you know, were so kind that they would sit with her and hold her hand while she cried. And, and some of them even cried with her because they, they were just so touched. It, it, it was amazing. It's one of the greatest things I think that I've ever done in my life. And all my friends were coming through for me. So we had that night seven to nine and she went on her way at nine o'clock and some friends lingered and we drank a little bit more and <laughs> then everybody went home because the next day I have a funeral service to do for Chin Chin. And <laughs> that was going to be the harder part because there was going to be a minister that would do the service. So there was a minister that was down in that area that he used to belong he used to be the minister of churches, 
But over the years, he had retired. He was quite elderly. He was like early 70s. I'm sorry, that's not elderly. Oof, sorry, early 70s. Young early 70s. He was, But he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And he would come and do services for ladies that he didn't even know. He'd often be the one to do elderly ladies' funerals when they don't have a lot of family and friends would come. And he had this speech that he would do where he would talk about how the woman loved Cape Cod and the beaches and the change of the seasons and the fact that it was busy during the summer yet quiet during the winter. And he would work the whatever woman he's talking about into this, into this beautiful, beautiful story. And he was the one that I wanted to do this. So <laughs> I asked him to come in like an hour and a half before the service, which is unusual, but I asked him to please come in. I wanted to talk to him. So he came in and I shook his hand at the door and I had him come in the office and I said, Reverend, um, I think you should sit down for this. <laughs> and he sat down at the table and, and he's like, Joey, what, what's the matter? You, you look kind of upset. And I said, well, you know, the owner's away and I'm running things here and I kind of have this unusual situation. So I explained everything to him and I didn't know if he was going to do it or if I was going to end up being the one to, to say the words at the, you know, the service in the funeral home. It, it wasn't so much that it was at a church, thank goodness, but it was in our, in our parlor, which is kind of like a chapel. We have various crosses and, and things. So I had put up some stuff around Chin Chin and he came and he, he said, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. No charge because I know, and he named the woman, I know her, no charge for this. So sure enough, it was her and a couple of my friends came back. They were very kind that way. They came back. I got to say my friends really came through. There were only maybe a dozen of us, but that was enough. And the Reverend went through his Cape Cod speech and amazingly, he worked in Chin Chin into this story about how much the woman loved the, the Cape and how there was sand outside her door and how Chin Chin that she allowed to go out would go into the yard and kind of dig in the sand and sometimes find seashells. And it was this beautiful, beautiful story. I got to give the guy credit. It was, it was amazing. Um, and so I had said, you know, we're not going to do any graveside words. You know, often when you have a funeral, there'll be a procession to the cemetery. And then at the grave, um, the minister will say a few more words and the casket is lowered down. But that wasn't going to happen because I was going to be burying Chin Chin. So I explained, you know, there's no graveside things. And he said, okay, that, that's fine. So she was happy that night <laughs> in the bright moon, <laughs> on a bright moonlit night. I go to this grave with my handy dandy little shovel and, uh, I have Chin Chin's box casket, you know, it was a casket, but it was little, I could carry it. 
And I start digging in the corner of her plot. And this is like midnight because I, I couldn't take a chance of anybody coming into the, into the cemetery. There were roads that you could drive cars in and around. And sometimes even uh, we'd see a lot of beer cans and stuff because kids would go in and they would drink at night and, I don't know, play graveside games or something. So I'm digging as fast as I can. <laughs> and all I'm thinking is how fucking weird this would be if anybody comes and finds me doing this. So I'm digging and digging and digging. Is it deep enough? Is it wide enough? <laughs> okay. So I get it pretty deep, right? And sure enough, I kind of had a flashlight that was aimed down into the grave so I could see what I was doing when I was digging. And, uh, I, put the casket in and I covered it all over and I tried to make it look as undisturbed as possible. There was a lot of grass and, and sod on her, uh, plot. So I, when you dig, what you do is you cut out kind of sections of the grass that you can then put back into place when the body is, is buried. So I did the same thing with Chin Chin. I kept the, the sod of grass so that it could be placed over and packed down a little bit. And it actually looked like the grave hadn't even been disturbed at all. So the universe was with me that night for sure, because I got Chin Chin buried, got everything back in place, took my handy dandy shovel over my shoulder, whistling <laughs> I walked out of the cemetery and back to the funeral home. And what we would do when um, somebody was buried is part of, again, it was a, a small town, so we did a lot of stuff. We would make this temporary plaque that we would put into the, gra the grave until the family had a chance to actually make a uh, gravestone you know, hire a company to make the gravestone and put that in place. So these, um, these plaques weren't very much. I mean, they just had the name. We had different letters that we would kind of put in like, uh, um, the old printing people used to do at the turn of the century and, uh, the dates. So I decided that I was going to do the, the best one of these that I could ever do because I knew that she wasn't going to be able to afford a gravestone. And I, I can manage some stuff, but I wasn't going to be able to manage that. So I made the most beautiful plaque I could possibly do. And I placed it right in the corner of the grave. And it stayed there. It stayed there for months before I, kids or vandals or something took it. But it did, in fact, mark Chin Chin's grave. And the following Sunday happened to be a day that nothing was going on at the funeral home. And sometimes I'd go for hikes or drives around. And I went back into that cemetery and sure enough, she was there at the time. I saw her car and she was praying right in front of the plaque for Chin Chin. And I walked up and I hugged her and, and she thanked me. And that was that. And then just a few months later, she passed away and she was buried right next to her chin chin. And as long as I live, I'm never going to forget that beautiful Siamese cat. Um, as I record this today, 
I can see, I can see Nick Nichols, who's my male cat sleeping on the couch right near me. He was a rescue pet. And I talk about him in an episode earlier that was called pet family. And then I actually did another addendum to it. So there's like two episodes about the rescue cats that I have. I have two cats and quite honestly, if I had the ability, I would do that same thing for them. I know now how much, how important animals are to you, like children, their family. And until I met my husband, Paco, you know, his boyfriends came in and boyfriends went out. My two beautiful cats were my family, were, were my children. And they absolutely adore Paco, absolutely adore him. And he sits and he cuddles with them at night as we watch TV. And he's the second father to them. And I always now know that if something happens to me, because I'm so much older than Paco, um, he would have my two cats and he would take care of them forever. So that's my story of the personification for sure of Chin Chin. If you like this podcast, if you like this show, please consider a five-star rating on iTunes or go on to Stitcher Radio and give me a rating on there. Thank you so much for listening to me. I know this was kind of a odd story, but I love this. I'm very proud of this. And I thank you for joining me. I'll see you soon.